my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Uh, hopefully, you guys are having a great week. Uh, lots of stuff to get to. Holy smokes. Big news week. Big news day today, specifically. Um, a ton to get to, and I was joined by my good friend, Alex Sears, from Lone Conservative. Uh, always a good time talking to Alec. And uh, yeah, we tried to cover uh, a ton of news in a very short amount of time. Uh, hopefully, you guys enjoy it. Before I get to my chat with Alec, want to say hi to our sponsors over at Premier Vapor. If you smoke and you want to quit, or if you vape already, you need to check out Premier Vapor. They have the largest selection of premium e-liquid anywhere in the country. Um, And if you don't know the difference between normal, crappy e-liquid and premium, uh, as the name would suggest, premium is just the way to go. Like It doesn't burn out your coils super fast. It tastes way better, way better flavor. Um, It's just great. And they have any kind of uh, battery mod uh, any kind of tank, any kind of atomizers or coils, anything you need for your vape setup, they have. They have physical locations in Perrysburg and Holland, Ohio, if you're in Northwest Ohio. And uh, if you're not, you can check them out at PremierVaporAndLounge.com. That is PremierVaporAndLounge.com. Uh, they will give you free shipping on all orders over 35 bucks. Definitely check them out. If you haven't already, guys, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play. If you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a good review. We'd really appreciate that. And uh, if you want to get involved uh, with the show, if you like what you're hearing and want to get involved, you can hit us up over on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash NoGimmicksPodcast. You can contribute monthly over there, and there's cool incentives if you choose to do so. All right, without further ado, here is my chat with Alex Sears. All right, guys, we're here with my good friend, Alex Sears, vice president of Lone Conservative. Alec, thanks so much for taking the time, my friend. Thanks for having me. Always a good time. Absolutely. So I want to spend a lot of time on, on uh, the news breaking this morning about the, uh, the, the pullout of their troops uh, in Syria. But first, I, I, we have to start with uh, the breaking news from last night, and that is the passage of the First Step Act, a criminal justice reform bill uh, that passed the Senate. Uh, yesterday by a vote of 87 to 12, which that alone is, uh, I mean, miraculous uh, in today's political climate. You just don't see bills passing the Senate with, with 87 votes anymore. Um, so before we kind of get into the merits of, of this bill, what do you think and were you surprised that it passed so overwhelmingly? Um, I am a little bit surprised, but it shows good bipartisan support towards reforming um, the system. It was, you know, in desperate need of of some fixing. And I think this bill overall does a fairly good job. I have some some nitpicky problems with it, but but, um, I think it's going to do a lot of good. And there's some potential harm uh, with, you know, any legislation for the most part that can go along with that. Um, But I mean, it just kind of remains to be seen. Right. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, if I were a senator, I would have voted for it. Um, I obviously Mm -hmm. see the the potential dangers um and i've really enjoyed the debate between um you know people i really respect like ted cruz mike lee Rand paul on one side and then other people i really respect you know marco rubio and uh tom cotton on the other side 
uh, arguing for and against it. I think it's been a fascinating debate. Um, you know, just intellectual heavyweights going at it and coming down on different sides of the issue. But um, for me, I mean, I always err on the side of freedom, um, no matter what. Uh, there's obviously a lot of good people rotting away in prison uh, that deserve to be out. And if, if some of those good people get out, um, but that also means some bad guys that haven't served enough time get out as well. Like, I understand there's a trade-off, but I'd take that trade any day of the week because at least some of these wrongs will have been righted. Mm-hmm. It's definitely, uh, well, the debate has been phenomenal, um, definitely reminiscent of the Federalist and Anti-Federalist papers uh, way back when. And um, there is truly a lot of good in this bill. Um, however, the parts of the bill that I have issues with are, and I know you know this is coming from a conservative perspective, not necessarily a libertarian one, but I'm, I'm not a huge fan of letting opioid traffickers who happen to be nonviolent off easy. Um, I think that opioids are you know, potentially the number one threat to Americans, especially young Americans today. Um, especially fentanyl, um, I've, you know, being from Dayton, Ohio, which is the number one city worst hit by the opioid crisis. Um, it's hard to find a person that hasn't been affected personally, either by like friends or family who have succumbed to, to an overdose of, of one opioid or another. Right. I, I totally agree with that. And I, obviously I'm from Toledo, Ohio too. So, uh, you know, mm-hmm. our whole state has been hit extremely oh, hard. Yeah. I think it's the second hardest hit state in terms of opioid deaths to uh, West Virginia. Um, it's just been, it's an epidemic, especially in the Midwest. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think that's more of a symptom of over medication, over uh, prescri- doctors over uh, prescribing these medications. And then the prescriptions run out and then they turn to heroin or, or fentanyl, something like that. They can get it on the street for cheap. Um, I don't even know if the drug laws really do a whole hell of a lot. I mean, you can, I know it's a, the libertarian talking point, but you can look at a country like Portugal, which decriminalized all drugs, even opiates and drug deaths are essentially zero. I mean, it's like per capita, mm-hmm. it's, it's just a, a tiny fraction of, of the epidemic that we have here. So I don't even know if those laws or, or the, you know, extensive jail time associated with, with these drug laws going back to the eighties and nineties even help, you know, like I, 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 I don't know if I'm quite there yet, but I'm, I'm inclined to say let's just decriminalize everything, you know, and, and work on, <laughs> you know, mental health and recovery and stuff like that. I, I don't know. Like, that might be worth a shot. But, uh, you know, I, I always err on the side of freedom there. And, and who knows? And obviously the detractors from this bill, uh, Rubio, Cotton, and, and others, say that, you know, they're going to – that violent offenders are going to get out early. And then, you know, Cruz and Lee, they say, no, that's nowhere in the bill. You know, violent offenders not getting out early. I mean, I don't know, man. They both make extremely good points. Mm. I'm a, I'm mm-hmm. a simple man. I think we just have to wait and see. But if I had to guess, I, I'm I'm gonna go ahead and assume that this is going to be a net positive. Parts of this bill are fairly um, like kind of carry conservative principles because it sends a lot of the decisions on early release times and things like that back down down to the prison wardens and you know the officers that deal with these people on a day to day basis instead of you know, legislators that have never even met a single one of these convicts, um, which I think is is a very good thing. We're sending it back down the chain um, to people who can make the most informed decisions, um, who who actually know these people and, and will probably have a good idea of, of what's going to help them best. And then, um, you know, I would separately, I would like to see potentially 
a different piece of legislation specifically tackling op- the opioid epidemic and and uh, fentanyl especially because um, you're right in saying that, that you know over medication is definitely leading to um, people searching for um, you know street drugs or or an even higher fix and fentanyl is so dangerous that uh, it should really be considered a national security threat. Uh, the substance is more deadly than anthrax. It would take I th- it would take less than 100 pounds of the stuff to kill all of DC, um, especially if it was you know turned into some kind of aerosol. So um, it's an incredibly deadly substance, and uh, I think that it its mere existence is a national security threat because any any you know terrorist with some understanding of of you know the chemical process could could turn this into some kind of aerosol or liquefy it, put it into a water system, and it wouldn't really be that difficult to kill, you know, thousands and thousands of people very quickly. Right. There was a drug bust made uh, in Toledo, Ohio, a couple weeks ago uh, by the FBI where they they obtained um, enough fentanyl to kill half of the population of Toledo, roughly 150,000 mm-hmm. people. So that's, you know, that is obviously an extremely dangerous situation. I, I just... You know, I just think this this uh, this bill is a good start. I mean, it's not. I mean, it's not going mm-hmm. to be all end all. It's not going to solve uh, all of our drug problems or even our criminal justice reform problems. Obviously, we all know the system needs to re- be reformed in some way. But yeah, hopefully there is additional leg- legislation, like you said. And uh, and I think uh, what you mentioned a minute ago is actually the most important uh, part of the bill, and that's getting rid of some of these mandatory minimums and letting the people on the ground that interact with these felons make the decisions i mean that is just that's a much more human much more moral way to Mm -hmm. to handle it i think absolutely and uh i do think this bill is going to do a lot of good um but i would like to see you know just some some follow-up follow-up legislation i don't know if if decriminalizing all drugs is is the right step at this point maybe sometime in the future but i believe we'll we'll have to take you know huge strides and the rehabilitation and mental health um arenas in, in this country before before we can really consider um, full decriminalization. Right. And countries like Portugal, like I mentioned, they, you know, they didn't have the kind of opioid epidemic that we have here now mm-hmm. when they when they decriminalized drugs five years ago. It was, it was a different situation. You know, there's a lot of nuance there. But all right, let's move on um, to the big news breaking this morning. And uh, I'm actually pretty excited about this. I thought um, this would be universally praised. I thought a lot more people... <laughs> would be excited about this, but it seems like I'm actually in the minority here, um, at least by judging by uh, all the hate I'm getting on Twitter. But President Trump uh, this morning announced that he is pulling all of our troops out of Syria. Um, This is an illegal war. Uh, There was no congressional authorization for our military to to put boots on the ground in Syria. So by that metric alone, I think it's a good thing. Um, Before we dig into it, and we will, I want to spend some time on this, but what do you make of this news? Um, it would be good if it was, say, two months from now. Um, you know, I'm pretty non-interventionist myself, um, but since we already had guys there and they were, you know, doing a pretty good job so far, uh, I think that we're, you know, pretty much stopping and sitting down a couple feet in front of the finish line. Maybe. I, I, I don't know. Look, I... It's been 17 years. <laughs> it's been 17. Mm-hmm. I was I was 12 years old when we invaded the Middle East. I was 12. I turned 30 in a month. 
you know, I graduated high school in 2007. Most of the guys I grew up with joined the military and served in the Middle East, and a lot of them got pretty fucked up when they were there, too. Um, mm-hmm. I just, you may be right. We, we might be, you know, dropping the ball on the one-yard line or something, but I don't know, man. Like, we can't, this perpetual war that we're, we're fighting in a half dozen or more countries can't go on forever, especially if it hasn't been authorized by the Senate. And a lot of these senators, Lindsey Graham, Marco Rubio in, in particular, are going hard against the president right now. No, this is a mistake. It'll, you know, destabilize the region. It'll hurt national security. Okay, convince the American public of that. Convince the president of the United States mm-hmm. of that. And then get 60 votes on the Senate floor. Like, dude, don't come at me with the same line we've been using since the early 2000s. Come at me with 60 senators. 60. I mean, how many senators would vote to go to war in Syria right now? Five? Ten? Maybe? Maybe, I don't know, three? <laughs> Graham, Rubio, that's it? Like, I don't know. Like, come come at me with a, with authorization, congressional authorization. I, I just don't see how getting out of a country that our military has not doesn't have a mandate to be in in the first place can possibly be a negative. Um, it's definitely, you know, a weird situation. Um, and we, I mean, it, it calls back to what Obama did um, several years ago, pulling out of Syria. And, and we can kind of see now that that was, you know, um, a mistake and, you know, kind of allowed the rise of ISIS and also um, Russian interference. And that's that's another thing to, to think about about when we're pulling out of Syria, not only are we leaving like just the last remnants of ISIS um, that are left, it's you know roughly five to ten thousand um, members of ISIS left in parts of Syria um, that we're just you know gonna ignore now, I guess, and maybe let them grow again. But also, we're leaving Russia alone to continue meddling in the Middle East and and you know doing whatever they want, partnering with Assad um, without any you know, necessarily supervision from us in the region. Not that we should, you know, be meddling there uh, in the first place because we're, you know, we'd really be violating that country's sovereignty. But I'm not sure it's great for our national security interests in general to just kind of let Russia have free reign without eyes on the picture. I understand that point, but... We've been playing the counterbalancing Russia in the Middle East game since the Carter administration mm-hmm. in the late 70s. It was the Carter administration and Secretary of State Brzezinski. Uh, I can't remember his first name, but uh, he's Mika Brzezinski's father, the, the idiot from uh, MSNBC. But uh, anyway, the, Car- <laughs> the Carter administration, in, in Brzezinski's memoirs, he says, it's not, I'm going to butcher it, but essentially paraphrasing, he says, we needed, to con- we needed to trick the Soviets into invading Afghanistan. And he said, quote, we need them to have their own Vietnam because Vietnam costs so much to the mm-hmm. United States in blood and treasure. So we're like, OK, we're going to bankrupt the Soviets by tricking them into invading Afghanistan, knowing that, uh, you know, as we learned decades later, it's an unwinnable war. I mean, it's, Genghis mm-hmm. Khan couldn't hold Afghanistan just geographically. It's, it's impossible. But um, so they trick the Soviets into invading Afghanistan, and then we find a young, articulate Muslim man and uh, train him and, and fund him to fight the Soviets. That Obviously, that man's name was Osama bin Laden. Um, so that that was a oh, smooth move, guys. Thanks, Jimmy Carter. Like, that was a tremendous call there. And really, nothing's worked out in the Middle East ever since. So, like, I get it. Like, we don't want mm-hmm. Russians, Russia's sphere of influence to grow in the Middle East. I mean, we've been playing this game. Let's counterbalance Russia and the Middle East since the 70s. 
It started with us funding Al Qaeda to fight the 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 Soviets. I don't. And and going back to Syria, it's a four-way civil war between Assad's forces, the Free Syrian Army, the Kurds, the Syrian Kurds, and ISIS essentially. And but all these sides are evil, man. Like even the Kurds, like the the Syrian Kurds are not the Iraqi Kurds. The Iraqi Kurds are much closer of an ally of ours. The Syrian Kurds are actually communists. So they're Marxists. They're not, you know, it's kind of a different situation. Obviously, the Free Syrian Army has elements of al-Qaeda in it. Obviously, ISIS is ISIS and Assad is Assad. So we know there's no good guys there. But, I mean, this is just a brutal Mm -hmm. four-way civil war with evil human beings on all four sides. Like, this isn't a clear-cut, like, okay, we're going to come in and support Kuwait because they were invaded by Iraq. Like, it's not a clear-cut situation like that. It's a four-way civil war. And also, at the end of the day, Bashir al-Assad has basically had the civil war wrapped up for the last year and a half or so. I mean, like, he will win the civil war, unless we decide to just go in, guns blazing, and take him out. Like, he has this war won. Like, I really don't know what we're even accomplishing. ISIS will be defeated if for no other reason Assad wants to kill ISIS and Russia wants to kill ISIS. I mean, ISIS is a threat to everybody because they're not, you know, they don't care about soil or anything. They're just Islamists that want to spread the religion. So it's I, I don't know, man. I, I don't see... Everybody's freaking out over this. But I just don't see the down... Mm-hmm. Like, is there anything else I'm missing here? Well, I think that from a um, like public opinion standpoint... I mean, Trump. one of Trump's like major you know, uh, promises and, and go-to lines is that he's going to demolish ISIS. And he's done, you know... We've done pretty good so far. Um, they're down to, you know, 5 to 10K and one little part of Syria near the Euphrates. And if he, he pulls out now, he can't necessarily claim credit for, you know, decimating ISIS, for clearing that out. That's going to go to Russia. That's going to go to Syria. And he's just going to sit there twiddling his thumbs, trying to say, hey, I, it was me who defeated ISIS when, you know, really we're pulling out with, you know, 5 to 10K left in the region. And, I mean, there was headlines today that, you know, these people, are, they're still, you know, planning and, you know, tr- trying to execute terrorist acts. They just killed 700 prisoners that they had. And, you know, hundreds and hundreds of mass graves are being found now that, you know, Syrians are reclaiming the land that was stolen from them by ISIS. And now we're finding all these mass graves where, you know, unknown thousands have been murdered. So if Trump doesn't get in there, finish the job, he's going to have his own personal mission accomplished moment um, you know, like Bush had. And it's really going to hurt him in 2020. Maybe, but he also ran as, you know, yeah, he, he had the, you know, quote, we're going to bomb the hell out of ISIS. But he also ran as a non-interventionist, too, saying we need to pull our troops out of the Middle East. So, and I, I think that was important to his campaign in 2016 as well. I mean, he painted himself as the anti-war candidate and painted Hillary Clinton as the war hawk, which I think there's a lot of truth mm-hmm. to, to, to that, obviously. Um, Clinton hasn't seen a war she didn't like going back to the, you know, 80s. But mm-hmm. so I think a, a lot of, and I, I've heard from a lot of listeners who are either active duty or have are veterans that have served in the Middle East. And that's a big reason why they voted uh, for Trump, because he said he wants to pull out our troops. You know, why the hell are we there? We've been there for, you know, whatever, 15 years at the time. And I think that gave him a lot of votes as well. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I think that kind of cuts both ways. Yeah, we definitely need to pull out. But, I mean, what's what's one more month, two more months? I don't know. 
I don't. You might be right, man. You might be right. And my my initial reaction was just, thank God, you know, we are in Syria, Afghanistan, Iraq, Somalia, Chad, Niger, Mali, uh, Zimbabwe, mm-hmm. and my Yemen, obviously. Um, so I mean, that's a, that's a lot of countries, man. That's that's a lot. I mean, we are spread throughout the region, you know, North and Central Africa, and the entire Middle East. If we can reduce our, our troop presence by a little bit, then I'm all for it. Like it's, I, I understand the risks, but I'm, I'm so tired of perpetual warfare. And I think, I think I am in the majority in, in, in terms of not conservatives necessarily, but just of the general American public that mm-hmm. like, damn, it's been 17 years. Like, damn, yeah. I've had friends get their legs blown off. Like, damn, we're spending billions and billions of dollars a year. Like it's, I think that is like a, a, a very popular sentiment in the general public, and and I don't know. I, I think I I don't even see how Syria. We do need to eliminate ISIS, and don't get me wrong. We're still going to be bombing them. We're still going to use airstrikes and drones and use the air force and the navy to bomb strategic targets. I'm sure. I mean that. I honestly, honestly, I don't think that's ever going to change. But I don't know. I, I feel like just moving our troops out of Syria. I, I don't see as much of a downside as you do. But um, so you know, I I'm a, I was a fan of the the criminal justice reform bill I'm, I'm a fan of trump's move to to pull the troops out of syria and you disagree with that but i think uh we definitely both are in agreement uh, that <laughs> trump did something else very bad yesterday uh-huh yeah i think so so yeah take it away bump stocks i was uh this one uh, made me sick to my stomach yeah bump stocks um so trump and his administration um doj and uh atf basically came out with their new roles um, which are very confusing, first of all, because I am not entirely sure how they're classifying bump stocks. If you read just the summary from the DOJ new rule that was issued, it basically says that bump stocks are now machine guns. Like, they themselves are now actually machine guns. And it doesn't really differentiate between um, you know, whether or not you have that bump stock actually on a rifle or if you just have the bump stock. Um, and, and it says that all of them must either be, you know, destroyed yourself or, or turned into the ATF for local law enforcement, um, which uh, this is just just terrible. Um, Trump is going to take a big hit from the Second Amendment community from this. There's already lawsuits um, pending to challenge this rule. Um, and I'm not sure when it goes into effect, but once it does, it's 90 days, which is around March that all bump stocks have to be destroyed. Um, and, and this is, this is just a huge mistake. Right. And I want to get into the implications of this in, in a minute, but just in terms of practicality, um, gun owners of America have are planning to sue the Trump administration over this, which is good. Um, I'm very, very disappointed in the NRA, um, of which I am a member, um, that they seem to be going along with this, which is just mind-boggling to me. I, I can't wrap my head around that. But GOA is suing the administration. Um, I have to imagine, in pretty short order, this case will go to the Supreme Court. Um, I, I these, these Second Amendment issues usually make it to the Supreme Court pretty quick. Um, and, and then I don't really know what would happen there. Obviously, I, I believe Alito, Thomas, Gorsuch are going to come down on the right side of this. But it comes down to Justice Roberts and Justice uh, Kavanaugh, and I don't know. Like, how confident 
are you that the Supreme Court would would see this the right way? Well, here's the thing. The language. This is what, what really confuses me is because the language and the new rule is so like it's just false. Like it doesn't first make of sense. All, the, it makes absolutely no yeah, sense. The description of a bump stock and how uh, it works, like the mechanics actually going into a bump stock, is wrong. And the ATF rule, it is just flat out basically wrong. Right. It is a incorrect description of the mechanics that go into uh, a bump stock. And I had a theory yesterday that yeah, it, something in a BuzzFeed article uh, about this prompted it, where the DOJ and the ATF purposefully said all of these things wrong. They, they just lied on the new rule um, for one or two reasons. Either they wanted to get challenged in court and fail, uh, the court strikes down the rule, and at least the Trump administration can then just say, hey, we tried, we're not going to do this again, the court said so. That's, you know, that's, you know, one way this could go. The other way is, oh, we lied just to get this passed because we needed to do some kind of gun, gun reform. If uh, I know anything about the federal government, the only government, two ways I can see this going. Right, and if I know anything about the federal government, my guess would be the latter. Mm-hmm. As far as the Supreme Court goes, based on how poorly this law is written and how easily it can be proven wrong, uh, there's no way that you know, necess- like if you if you're just going by you know reading the law and then comparing it to the you know the Constitution and and you know the Machine Gun Act. Um, there's no way it stands unless all of our conservative justices flip and that's not going to happen. I could even see, you know, once an explanation is made on how bump socks operate, I could see even the liberal justices saying this language doesn't make sense. I don't know why it's in this rule. Like I this, could, I could like see, if you Sotomay- were trying to, I could see Sotomayor maybe saying mm-hmm. if you were trying to get, say a patent for, for a bump stock using the ATF language, it wouldn't go through because it's not a correct description of how a bump stock work, a right. bump stock works. And on top of that, it is basically saying that a bump stock itself is a machine gun. That's that's how, from, from what I can understand from the rule, that's how it's classifying it. Well, a bump stock doesn't actually fire any kind of ammunition from it. No, no, it it, it is the the poorest written law I've ever seen. Um, but, you know, what immediately came to mind that kind of scared me was we saw Justice Roberts basically rewrite Obamacare to try to claim that it was constitutional. Okay, so, I mean, this mm-hmm. he's usually he's a fairly reliable conservative, but we've seen him, you know, make some horrible, horrible decisions as well. So I could see a Justice Roberts doing the same thing here, like rewriting this law to try to squeeze it into his interpretation of the Constitution. Like, that that's definitely a concern, a concern for me. And um, just big picture, the, I mean, this if this stands, which I, I have to believe, because how poorly written it is, that it's not going to, and it'll be overturned, this lawsuit will go through, and then the courts will overturn it. But if, it, if this goes through, man, the left is going to smell blood in the water. If a Republican president who just confirmed two Supreme Court justices, you know, gets gets gun control laws passed. Man, we we cannot. Anytime you're playing defense, in in terms mm-hmm. of the Constitution, in terms of the Bill of Rights, it's bad. We need to go on the offense. 
in, in, when it comes to the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, etc. I'm so damn tired, man, of playing defense. Oh, okay, all right, fine. Maybe bump so the NRA playing defense. Okay, I guess we don't really need bump sacks. Okay, I guess we don't need uh, automatic weapons. I mean, these are infringements on the Second Amendment. These are infringements. Playing defense is a slippery, slippery slope. It emboldens the left. It emboldens the courts. And, man, if this goes through, the next time we have a Democratic president, hold your breath. Mm-hmm. Well, we haven't even discussed how you know many gun owners and people who would actually purchase bump stocks consider this a certain level of confiscation. And we don't how, know how, how, how they're it, how going. How is it not? How is it not confiscation? Well, well, it is, but... I mean, you know, the argument could be made that it's not actually their guns. However, I don't think, you know, the kind of people that would own bump stocks are just going to take this sitting down. Like, this isn't going to go over well for people. And, you know, all we need is, you know, one or two video clips of the ATF raiding someone's house to take their bump stocks. And suddenly it's a huge mess for the Trump administration. Right. That That's a, that's a terrifying that's a terrifying thought, man. And um, I, I can't, I can't possibly picture a way that we avoid those video clips if this does go through. I mean, I think our only shot is is that the courts uh, shoot this law down. Um, yeah, man. Or uh, people are, yeah. You're gonna have videos of, of shootouts inside somebody's home, you know. And that's uh, uh yeah. I do not want to see that in 2018 or 2019 in America. That is is a terrifying prospect. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, we saw how willingly people were, were you know, traveling to defend, you know, the Bundy Ranch from, you know, the federal government. And uh, there's been several standoffs out west in the past few years. Um, I don't see something like that not happening again. I mean, th- things like that are definitely plausible where, you know, some, you know, prominent gun owner or conservative just refused to to give up their bump stocks because they believe it's a violation of their Second Amendment, and suddenly we have an armed standoff. Right, right. Yeah, it was. It's just a crazy, a crazy week in Trump world. A lot of good, some bad. Um, this this one really just surprised me. I mean, this really caught me mm-hmm. off guard. I did not expect this from President Trump. Very disappointed. Um, another thing that that's been disappointing um, in the last couple of days, and I'm running out of time, so I just real quickly, it's looking like the Trump administration is backing down from demanding uh uh border control funds uh funds to build the wall uh, to avoid a partial government shutdown that's very disappointing obviously not surprising but disappointing nevertheless how do you think this plays out trump is claiming that oh well there's other ways we can take dod money to fund the wall which i don't i don't know maybe that's legal maybe it's not i'm not a lawyer Mm -hmm. i don't know um, I don't even want to comment on that, but if that's true, then why didn't he do it at any point in the last almost two years? Um, how is this going to play out? Is the GOP just going to take another one on the chin? Because this is Trump's last chance. I mean, with Nancy Pelosi as Speaker of the House, they're not getting border control or border security funds. It's just not happening. This is last chance. Are we really going to see the GOP take another one right on the mouth? I think we are, and it's going to hurt <laughs> Trump again in 2020. A lot of what happened this week is going to really hurt in 2020, because, um, I mean, the wall was like his cornerstone of his campaign in 2016. Maybe, depending on how elections go in 2020, we get, you know, another promise for a wall, 
but he's just going to get absolutely slammed by both sides for his inability to to fulfill that promise. Right. I mean, this that would be the biggest uh, campaign promise broken since Read My Lips, No New Taxes. It really would be that uh-huh. bad. It would be that damaging. I'm not exaggerating on that at all. And look, I, I'm not crazy. I don't think I'd never believe for one second that Trump was going to get a 3,000-mile-long wall built on the, the Mexican border. But he needs something. Build a doghouse on the border in New Mexico somewhere. <laughs> like, build a fucking tent on the border in Arizona. Like, sir, like build something. You need a video of building a structure on the southern border. Like, build five miles. Mm-hmm. Like, that's all he needs. Like, just get some kind of funding for the wall. Build right. something. Right, he doesn't, he doesn't need all the funding either. You know, you can do it incrementally by state. Like, it, it would not be as difficult. Right, just something. I mean, it... He is going to get absolutely shellacked, rightfully so, if he can't get anything built on the southern border. But, all right, Alec, I'm out of time. It's always good talking to you, my friend, and I'll definitely have you on soon. Where can everybody uh, find you online and keep in touch and read your stuff and all that good stuff? Yeah, definitely follow me on Twitter, at SearsAL, and uh, follow Lone Conservative on Twitter as well, at LO Conservative. And we just hit 10K followers on Instagram. We're very proud of our Instagram team, and you can follow them on Insta, at Lone Conservative. All right, everybody follow Alec. Everybody check out Lone Conservative. They are great over there. And uh, that's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. Actually, I will be off on Monday. Um, It is uh, Monday's Christmas Eve, so no podcast on Monday. But I will be back on Wednesday. No gimmicks. (laughs) 